0: Well, church, as we continue in God's Word this morning, Luke chapter 3, we're going to talk about John the Baptist this morning. He's popularly known as John the Baptist, and we don't want to confuse ourselves and think that he uh, shared our denominational affiliation. We could also call him John the Baptizer. His, his ministry was, was characterized by this sign of baptism That meant that someone had repented of their sins and were turning their life toward God in a new and and powerful way. And as we look at John this morning, we want to understand that the, the primary role of John that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels, all four of the accounts of Jesus' life given to us in the New Testament, his primary role was to be one who was preparing the way for the coming Messiah. As we read in Isaiah 40, that, that passage is quoted in all four Gospels. As, as we looked at that passage, we hear someone proclaiming that someone's going to come preparing the way for the Lord. And that's exactly what John the Baptist does here in Luke chapter 3. Uh, we saw his, his birth uh, prophesied and prepared for in Luke 1 and 2. And now John the Baptist comes on the scene and he is a weird dude. I mean, wearing camel hair and eating locusts dipped in honey. Uh, I mean, just some weird stuff going on with this guy. But it, but it all is a reminder of things that would have been very familiar to folks in the Old Testament days. There's a place where, with John the Baptizer, he is looking back to the Old Testament. And at the same time... He is drawing people into the New Testament. His life is very much a bridge. His ministry is is a bridge between the old and the new. And I hope you'll see that this morning and understand the, the value of this one of whom Jesus said, there's not been one born of woman greater than John. And yet he went on to say, but even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And so with that, let's look together at John John's story in Luke chapter 3, beginning there in verse 1. If you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word this morning. Luke begins by giving us a historical context here. If you look at the history books, you'll find that the year was roughly uh, 28 or 29 AD. And we see here him describing exactly who was in power at that time. It's no longer Caesar Augustus. It's now Caesar Tiberius. And it says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Trichonitis, and Lasanias tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Note that phrase right there. We're going to come back to that here in just a minute. The Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, and this is what we read this morning from Isaiah chapter forty. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to him to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. That's a great way to begin a sermon, right? You bunch of snakes. What are you doing out here? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation And be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's be seated together today. Father God, this is your holy word. Breathed out by you for our instruction, to teach and train us in the ways of righteousness. Your word constantly reminding us that your ways are not our ways, your thoughts are not our thoughts. They are so much higher and deeper, and in some way so very strange to us. Father, we pray. Today that you might further conform our ways unto yours. That we might walk in the pathways of our Savior. That we might see even in the life of this one who you sent to prepare the way for the coming Christ. That we might see from him that which is needful for us this very day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> As we look at John chapter 3 this morning, I want to share with you from the life and ministry of John the Baptist the three aspects of a faithful ministry. Though these events happened now 2,000 years ago... We understand very clearly, and I hope you will understand very clearly today as we walk through these scriptures together, that they have immense application for the day and age in which we live. The very things that John brought to the forefront... As he was out there in the wilderness proclaiming the coming Christ. Calling people to repentance and faith and to follow the Lord in baptism. That just John was doing these things. He is setting before us an example that we might follow in like fashion. Kent Hughes reminds us of some things about John that are very foundational. He said of John the baptizer that John... Was filled with the Spirit before birth as the angel came and prophesied to Zechariah. That's exactly what happened. He was groomed by the Holy Spirit for 30 years. And then he was launched by the Holy Spirit to prepare the way for the Lord. John was one who was more than happy to play second fiddle. Because he knew that the one he was preparing the way for was the long-awaited Messiah. The people of God had been looking forward to the coming Messiah all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 when God prophesied of one who would come and crush the head of that old serpent, Satan. And there had been hundreds of promises made throughout those Old Testament years of the one who was going to come, the anointed one, the promised one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that the very Son of God would become flesh and dwell among us as John wrote about. And now this one comes preparing the way, heralding the fact that the King is coming. And you would think that this would take place in an urban area where there would be lots of people gathered. That it would take place in some important city like Jerusalem. But instead, God sends his messenger out into the wilderness. Out to the banks of the Jordan River. In an out-of-the-way place, dressed in strange fashion. Beginning his sermons in strange ways by calling the people snakes. God's ways are certainly not our ways. But I pray this morning that we would see the ways of God as demonstrated by John the Baptizer and that we would seek to have these three things at the very core of our ministry here at Corinth Baptist Church. First aspects of John's faithful ministry is this. It was a prophetic work of preparing the way. You need to understand As we come to Luke chapter 3 this morning, it had been 400 years since Israel had seen a prophet of God come on the scene. The last of them, the very end of your Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And then you've got that little page there in between your Old Testament and New Testament. That blank page represents 400 years of history in which God was silent the people had not received any fresh word from God in all of those years. And perhaps many of them had begun to wonder, has God departed from us altogether? Is He going to leave us under the dominion of Rome? Is he, has He completely forsaken us as His people? And then John the baptizer comes on the scene. And for the first time in 400 years, Israel has a prophet again. And he is proclaiming the way of the Lord and preparing the way for the Lord to come. You see, John was the last in a long line of Old Testament prophets who called the people to repentance and proclaimed the coming Christ. If you look there at our text this morning... After that long list of of seven rulers of the known day, starting with the man who was at the very top, Tiberius Caesar, the ruler of the then known world, the the emperor of the Roman Empire, a very powerful and strong man, and then working his way down through all the many other leaders that were over that region of the world until he gets to those who were serving as high priests among the Israelites. He gives all these powerful people, and then he says, but the word of the Lord, Word came to John. The word of the Lord didn't come to Tiberius. it didn't come to Pilate, it didn't come to Herod or to Philip. It didn't come to any of these men. It didn't even come to those who should have been receiving it. Those, these high priests, Anna, Annas and Caiaphas. he didn't come to them. The word of the Lord came to some dude out in the wilderness. Out by the Jordan River in an out-of-the-way place. Again, God's ways are not our ways. But the word of the Lord came to John. This is prophetic language. You find over and over in the Old Testament... There are at least, as I identified this week, there are at least 20 different individuals in the Old Testament of whom it says, and the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. And you see these men of God rising up in their day and proclaiming the word of God and calling people regularly to repentance, to turning from their sin and to trusting in God, to turning away from that which hindered them from coming to God. And turning to him in a full assurance of faith, calling people to repentance and continually proclaiming the coming Christ. We see all these Old Testament prophets regularly proclaiming the Lord's Messiah is coming. Get ready. And that's exactly what John, the last one in this long line of Old Testament prophets is doing. He is calling the people to repent, to turn from their sin. And he is saying the the coming one, the Christ, the Messiah, he's on his way and he's almost here. It would be John who would proclaim, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But while John was the last in a long line of Old Testament prophets, he was also the first in a faithful flock of New Testament saints who would call people also to repentance and proclaim not not, not that Christ is coming, but that Christ has come. That's what the New Testament church is called to. Church, let's not forget what our mission is. As we close out 2018 and we move into 2019, John the Baptizer reminds us this morning of what our mission is. And we need to not forget it. Our mission is not to have great social programs. If we have some nice social programs, wonderful. But if we miss the mission, the social programs are worthless. The Kiwanis Club can do that and probably can do it better than us in most aspects. But we have something that the Kiwanis Club cannot do. We have the Word of God and the mission of calling people to repentance, to turning from their sin and to trusting in Christ, the Messiah who has come, who died on the cross for their sins, that they might have free and full access to the one true and living God. And so as John is preparing the way, we see that there came a day in John's ministry when Jesus showed up. And how does John greet him? In John 1, The next day, John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, look. He pointed the way. As he had been pointing the way to the coming Messiah for all those many months, now he says, look, behold, pay attention, folks, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, John understood the mission of Jesus from day one. He knew exactly what the Messiah was coming to do. That the great rescue that the Messiah would, be, would bring would not be a rescue from the Romans. That their greatest problem was not political oppression. Their greatest problem was their spiritual condemnation. And they needed to be rescued from sin and death and the grave. And so when he points to Christ, he says, behold, pay attention, this is the Lamb of God. No longer will lambs be sacrificed at the temple for your sins. They didn't do any good anyway. They were just pointing forward to the one true and living God who would step out of heaven and God in the flesh would come and dwell among us and the Lamb of God would die for us. And John says, Behold, in today, church, we still need to be saying to a lost and dying world, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The greatest problem in our world today is not an economic problem, no matter what you think of the state of the economy right now. The greatest problem in our world today is not a political problem in spite of all the mess that's going on in the political system right now. The greatest problem that we have is not an educational problem. The greatest problem that we have is a spiritual problem. And that's why the mission of the church matters. Because God has called us, just like John the baptizer, to proclaim the only solution to that problem, which is the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that's what John says about Jesus. Let's look for a moment at what Jesus says about John. We'll come to this later in Luke chapter 7. But as Jesus is talking about His cousin John the baptizer, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Think about that compliment for a moment. How huge is that? Among those born of of women, and obviously there's a phrase there where Jesus is setting himself apart. He's saying, among those who are born in the natural way, We know that Jesus was born in in a very unnatural way, in a very miraculous way. But Jesus is saying, among all the rest of, of, of humanity that's been born in the natural way of things, there is not one greater than John. And yet, the one who is least in God's kingdom is greater than he. Take that and think about it for a moment. Think about what God is saying to us in this day. So we can easily find ourselves in a place of spiritual depression thinking that we are nothing. But if you are a part of God's kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, then he is elevating you to a place not to be worshipped, but to a place where you can rightly worship your creator and your king. He's calling us to be reminded of who we are as the people of God. So the first aspect of John's ministry, this prophetic work of preparing the way, of calling people to behold the Lamb of God. The second aspect of John's ministry that needs to be a part of ours as well is the practicality of true piety's walk. John sets before us a picture of what right and true religion should look like. Now I know the word religion is a very unpopular word today, and I want to use it in a right biblical context. By religion, we are not speaking about things that we do in order to earn the favor of God. We are speaking rightly here about things that we do because we have been given the favor of God through the sacrifice of Christ. So we are not saying do these things so that God will look favorably upon you. We're saying God is looking favorably upon you because of the sacrifice of His Son and our response to that should be to do these kinds of things. And there's really just two that I see highly emphasized in the ministry of John and two that we need to regularly emphasize as well. The first characteristic of a walk with the Lord is this. It's characterized by regular repentance. Church, it grieves my heart That we live in a day and age where so often repentance is viewed as a one and done. That is not the biblical view of repentance. Repentance should be a regular characteristic of the Christian life. It's not I repented back there. One and done I'm good to go and now I can live however I want to. Now we see the characteristic of repentance of a turning away from sin as a regular characteristic of the Christian life. Many of us know 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That may have even been used when somebody led you to faith in Jesus Christ, but I want you to understand this morning, that verse was written for the church. As a regular part of our experience of walking with the Lord, that we would regularly walk in this sweet pathway of repentance, not forgetting that Romans chapter 2 reminds us it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, it's the kindness of God that shows us the reality of our sins. It's the kindness of God that makes His Word a mirror that at times we look in and we see ourselves and we see the filthiness of our corruption. We see our desperate need for Him. It is so kind and loving of God to show us our need to turn from sin and to trust in Christ in greater ways. By the way, John's ministry was not the only one characterized by repentance. What did Jesus come proclaiming from day one? Repent and believe. As we come to the end of Luke, several months from now, we're going to see these words on the lips of our Lord. Luke chapter 24. Jesus said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What was John preaching? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the sign of that was baptism. Neither in John's ministry nor in the ministry of the church today does baptism save anyone. It is simply a beautiful picture that God has given us of that which does save. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what saves us. Our faith in Him is what saves us. Whenever I talk about baptism, I always use the illustration of my wedding ring. I bought this wedding ring several months before I walked the aisle and stood next to my bride and made vows to her. And I even tried this ring on a few times to make sure that it fit. But simply putting on the ring did nothing to make me married. It was not until I stood before God's people in a church and stood before my beautiful bride and made those vows to her and entered into that marital relationship, that marriage bond that the Bible says is to be held in honor among all, that this ring took on meaning. It's just like baptism. Baptism, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, is just getting wet in church, and it's a strange thing if that's all it is. But because of what Jesus did for us at the cross, because his blood has covered all of our sins, because faith in him rescues us from sin and death and hell, now baptism takes on this beautiful meaning, just like this wedding ring now means, it now symbolizes my relationship with Beth Rupert, now baptism symbolizes our relationship with Jesus Christ that we are identifying with his death and burial and resurrection. And so while baptism doesn't save us, it is an act of Christian obedience, and I urge you today if you have not followed the Lord in believer's baptism having come to know Christ as your Savior if you have not taken up that symbol of water baptism I want to urge you today to consider that Scripture, I think it's, it would be right for us to say that's the first step of Christian obedience. As they were coming to John, they were coming to be baptized, not to be saved, but because they had recognized their need for salvation. They had recognized God's gift, God's generosity toward them, and they wanted to walk in obedience to His commands. Regular repentance is the first characteristic of a rightful religion. The second characteristic is a fruitful faith. So as John is preaching and calling them to repentance, calling them to look to the one who is to come, the coming Christ that we now look back upon, as, as John is calling these to them to these things, they ask the right question. Look at verse 10. As he is preaching to them, they ask these types of of questions and the crowds asked him what then shall we do now again don't get to the cart before the horse here church be very careful here they are not saying to john what must we do to inherit to earn the favor of god what must we do in order that god will be happy with us Ephesians 2 would later lay this out so clearly. We are saved not by works. We're saved by grace through faith. We hang our hat on that every single week and every single day. By God's grace, we are reminded there will be no works. Baptism is any other works that we could do that would earn the salvation of God. But what they're saying is, because we now understand the gift of God, because we now understand God's grace toward us, what shall we do in response? And that's the right question. If you have the type of faith that bears no fruit, that I would encourage you to consider today Perhaps that faith is false. If your relationship with Jesus Christ does not radically transform your life, if it does not become the defining characteristic of who you are and how you make your decisions, how you spend your money and your time, if your relationship with Jesus Christ is not central to your existence, it's just some peripheral thing over here, I want you to understand this morning. Rightfully, he will share a throne with no one. He deserves to be not just Savior, but Lord. And you cannot have one without the other. If you will not have him as Lord, if you will not walk in obedience to his commands, Jesus said, if you love me, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And so what does that look like? Well, look what it looked like for these guys. It's so practical. It is so very practical. What shall we do? And he answered them, if you've got two tunics, if you've got two coats, you don't need two coats. You see a dude that doesn't have a coat? Take your coat and give it to him. That's simple, isn't it? That's simple. Any of us could do that. And then these tax collectors who were so despised because of the way they abused the tax system. They were Jews who were employed by the Romans to gather taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire, and they often abused their positions by collecting more than was really due. They got rich upon uh, their abuse of the system. They were so despised, and so the tax collectors came, and they were being baptized. They were walking in repentance and faith toward God, and they said, Well, what should we do? And he said, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Stop cheating, people. Later, we're going to see Matthew, one of the twelve called to be Jesus' disciples, one who was a tax collector, who sought to even go above and beyond that and repay those that he had wronged. And then soldiers come, and they say, what should we do? Soldiers who in that day were often known for abusing their positions of power to extort money for others and and taking bribes to, to do special favors for other people. He said, stop doing that. Instead, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. Just be content with your wages. Simple things. Things that anyone could do. And I think it's a good picture for us of what the Christian life so often entails. So oftentimes we are looking for these grandiose acts that we want to do on behalf of God. God, do you want me to pack up and move to Africa? That's where my head was at one time in my life. God, as as an act of obedience to you, do you want me to to pack up and move to Africa? I I do want to say this to us. I do believe that if we're going to be in obedience to God, if we're going to live in obedience to God, there has to be a willingness that if God says, sell it all and move to Africa, you say, yes, Lord, to your will and to your way. There is a place where we need to be ready to follow God in difficult steps of obedience. But I want to say this to us. We'll never get to that place. We will never get to that place If it doesn't begin with simple steps of obedience. You say, well, I don't know what God wants for me five years from now. Guess what? I don't either. The bigger question is, what does he want for you today? What does obedience look like today? Does obedience look like offering forgiveness to that one who's wronged you? I'm not saying that's easy. But there is a simplicity to it. Does obedience look like perhaps not taking that next advancement because of the demands it'll place upon your family and instead being content with what you have, as he called these soldiers to do? Being content with less that you might have more time for your family. By the way, there are far too many in our culture today making the wrong choice in that position. I'm thankful for men in this congregation who have seen the rightness in stepping back from material gain that they might have gained in things that really matter. So what does obedience look like for you today? That's a fruitful faith. Right there in your position. He doesn't say to the tax collectors, stop being a tax collector. He doesn't say to the soldiers, stop being a soldier. He just simply says, in that place where God has placed you by his grace, glorify God in that place. If you're a school teacher, what does it look like to demonstrate the glory of God in the classroom come Wednesday. If you're a factory worker, what does it look like to be a demonstration of the glory of God and your obedience to Christ in the factory environment? I know that that is difficult, but there is a simplicity to it. I don't want you to miss the simplicity. God is not trying to confuse us or complicate our lives. We're the ones that do that. He's called us to a simple obedience. The kind of obedience James talked about in James chapter 1 when he said religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. This is what it looks like. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Simple acts of obedience in service to God and others. Finally this morning. we see this third aspect. The first was the prophetic work of preparing the way. The second, the practicality of true piety's walk. And finally, and most importantly is the proclamation of the preeminent one. It so reminds me of Colossians 1. I'm going to have the privilege of, of preaching through the book of Colossians this next week as we and travel to Thailand. I'm so excited about being able to share with this group of missionaries about the one who is preeminent, the supremacy of Christ. If your faith has grown stale, I want to encourage you, read the book of Colossians and keep reading. You can read the whole thing in about 10 minutes, but just keep reading and allow the Word of God to wash over you and to remind you of how great He is, how gracious He is, what He desires for you as one of His people. Let the Word of God spur you on to greater adoration and affection for Christ. As John came proclaiming, he came not proclaiming himself, but proclaiming Christ. The first thing we proclaim is the necessity of humility before him. This is so important in a day where pride is so highly exalted as a virtue in our culture. You may not see that, but I'm seeing it all over the place. Pride is so exalted, and yet, what do we find John saying? They were all expecting that he might be the Christ. And John said, I baptize you with water. I'm dunking you in a pond, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. By the way, that phrase right there, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. In those days... It was considered the most menial task in any household to be the one who was tasked with removing the master's sandals and washing his feet at the end of a long day. In fact, it was considered to be so menial and so below, folks, that that they would not even allow a Jewish servant to have that role. They reserved that for a Gentile. The Jews considered, even our servants, even our servants are above that. That's the lowest of the low. And yet notice what John says. This is true humility. He said, "I'm not even worthy for the lowliest task in relation to my Lord." Church may that kind of humility begin to characterize us the people of God. That's when we will begin to see people running to Christ as they look to our example. Not when we're walking around in a pridefulness thinking that we're too good for the things that God has set before us. The lowest task in the house of God, John says, I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. I'm not even worthy to wash his feet. And we need to have that kind of humility before the Lord recognizing that we are nothing That there is nothing in us that's worthy of anything from Him and yet He has given to us everything because of His grace. John 3.30, John said, He must increase but I must decrease. May that be our theme. Corinth Baptist Church, may Christ increase. And may we see 2019 characterized by our decrease in His stead. Finally this morning, we proclaim the necessity of humility before him and we proclaim the nearness of judgment by him. I know this is unpopular, but it's necessary. As John is proclaiming the Christ who is coming, the one who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire, I wish we had time to get into the depth of what that's saying, but look at verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor to gather the wheat into his barn and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is a picture of judgment. And they were so familiar with this picture as they would go to the threshing floor at harvest time and they would take their wheat and they would take that threshing fork and they would throw the, f- the wheat up into the air on a windy day and the chaff, that, that, that husk over top of the wheat would be blown away by the wind and what would be left there was the wheat that was good. And he says that's exactly what the Christ is coming to do. That's exactly what Jesus' ministry was about. Jesus said, I came to bring, not peace, but a sword. He said, I came to set one brother against another. A father will be against his son, and a son will be against his father. And we say, that's hard. What what are you talking about, Jesus? He's talking about the dividing line of faith. One brother will believe in me and the other will reject me and they will be set at odds with one another because of me. A father will receive me and a son will reject me and they will be set at odds because of me. And one will be welcomed into my kingdom as a child of God rescued by my sacrifice at the cross and the other will be rejected because they did not believe. John 3.36 lays it out for us, church. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see, the reality is we're all deserving of the wrath of God. We're all deserving of his judgment. This preacher who stands before you this morning, I'm deserving of the wrath of Almighty God. Romans 3 reminds us, there's not one of us who's done good. All of us have turned away. Each has turned to his own way, and the, but the Lord chose to cast all of our sin, all of our iniquity, all of our transgressions, all of the times that we rebelled against him, he has chosen to cast all of them upon his perfect son, Jesus Christ. And that's our only hope. We're saying this morning, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He, he is the source and center of our message he's the dividing line the only one that matters and we proclaim him one of the ways that we proclaim christ is through coming to this table together i love the fact that we're going to close out this year together coming to the lord's table and he's invited us to come this table again a picture Just like baptism is a picture of our relationship with Christ, so this table is a picture of our relationship with Christ. As we take this little piece of bread this morning, we're going to be reminded that his body was broken for us. As we take this little cup juice this morning, we're going to be reminded that his blood was spilled for us. And the invitation to this table is an invitation to all of his children. If you have turned from your sin and are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if your life has been one characterized by those sweet pathways of repentance and faith, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the invitation is come to the table, but don't come lightly. He says, let us examine ourselves. Let us carefully consider that the invitation to this table is given by a holy god and so we need come with clean hands and pure hearts and that's only possible because of his grace